Bitcoin accumulation country. It's the Fun with Bitcoin podcast. I'm your host, Coin Icarus. The podcast is sponsored by Crypto Cloaks 3D Printing. Check them out for all your 3D printing needs. And joining me today is longtime Bitcoiner, humble dude, great takes on Twitter, um, talking about none other than Mandrick. We sat down, had a great chat. I'm not going to bore you with a longer intro. Here we go. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Fun with Bitcoin podcast. I'm your host, Coin Icarus, or Phil, however you know, however you want to address me. And today, I've got a fellow Bitcoiner and um, used to work at uh, Blockchain and BitInstant uh, doing user ops and possibly, you know, multiple, uh, you know, wearing multiple hats. And I would say a, a Bitcoin uh, OG. Uh, it's Mandrick. Mandrick, thank you hey, so thanks. much. Thanks for having me on, Phil. Um, and the OGs are the guys who got into it before I did. That's how I always look at it. Yeah, see, that that's the thing, right? Everybody who got into it before us is an OG. Yeah. You know? So, uh, you know what? I, I actually only learned of you on Twitter. Um, I, I remember seeing uh, one of your, uh, specifically one of your posts outlining, because I'm a huge sucker for swag. And it was one of your posts um, outlining the kind of the, the Bitcoin art that you've yeah. picked up through the, you know, through the years. And I, I was just totally mesmerized by that. And, you know, obviously had to hit you up, give you a follow. And I just, I, I find, you know, you're like easygoing, you know, the, you know, it's like, you're not toxic Bitcoiner, but like we can tell where your support is. And I, I just, man, it's so cool to have you on and I need to know the rabbit hole story. Yeah, sure. No, it's, it's great to be here. I, it's fun. Uh, I definitely am a Bitcoiner. That's what I am full time. I, it's not, <laughs> It's not a paying gig. It's pretty nice. I don't have to answer anybody. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I, I did start out at my first full-time Bitcoin gig was at BitInstant, if anybody remembers that that company. But it was a way for early Bitcoiners to buy Bitcoin uh, via the red phone, the, like the um, the phones in pharmacies that they have for like the money orders and whatever, whatever the money grams or whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, that was how you bought Bitcoin back in the day. This was like, I, I started so working there late 2012. Okay, 2012. Right. Yeah, and, but BitInstant started in 2011, which is also when I became a Bitcoiner. But, but yeah, it was one of the uh, early ways to buy Bitcoin with with cash, essentially. Um, long before a lot more options sprung up. So, okay, how? Um, I mean, 2011 was pretty early. So, I guess what were, if you don't mind me asking, what were you doing before Bitcoin? Yeah, so before Bitcoin, I worked uh, for a cable company, uh, and. I'm already in my 40s now. I'm in my early 40s, but I started like my I was like 19 or 20. I started this local cable company doing like cable modem stuff, kind of just working customer service. And before that, I grew up in my dad's diner. So I had a lot of experience working in a restaurant because I started when I was like 11 or 12, just cleaning tables and stuff like that. With And uh, I grew up in the diner. I mean, when when your family's Greek and they have a restaurant, you just pretty much <laughs> spend your life in the restaurant. It's like every meal at the restaurant. <laughs> it's so true time there. <laughs> so it was just like that was my life for as a kid uh, and working there. And then I did customer service for this company for 10 years and I got laid off in 20 and early 2011 just got laid off. And it was one of those I was in one of the situations where it's like I could just keep working for this company and like this pretty much dead end job, you know, just get another job, just get a transfer to a different position because mine was being terminated. But they gave me opportunities to go somewhere else in the company. And I just said, you know, fuck it. I'm just I'm just done. I, I'm ready to just do something myself. You know, I'm I'm like 30, 31, something like that at the time and just ready to just do something else in my life. Like it's not I, I don't want to be this guy that just works this dead end job and just getting by and just, just not taking any risks, you know, and just kind of whatever. And then that's your life. You know, you grow old and you die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I just I just didn't want to do that. And I kind of had this gig on the side where I was doing like this agorist business because I'm like total in this time especially i was like total ancap guy yeah really I, just trying to run a business outside of like government i am totally going to ask you about agorism after yeah. um yeah so oh, yeah 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 well it definitely plays into this yeah I exactly mean, it's, just, it's kind of like all the stars aligned because at the same time i wasn't i wasn't really happy with my marriage uh i think things were kind of rough there and ended up in a divorce that year and also i wasn't happy with how i was physically because i was obese and i just wanted to make some changes you know be healthier so I kind of had like this midlife crisis and like just in every every regard of life, just <laughs> my job, my health, my relationships, whatever. So it, it kind of all just happened at once. I went from just 
being kind of just not happy and not really taking any risks to just saying fuck it and going all in crazy. Uh, I just started working for myself and I discovered Bitcoin a few months later. It was right after, uh, it was like this, I think the summer of 2011 is when they had like the first big Bitcoin bubble where the price went up from pennies earlier in the year or like a dollar earlier in the year to like 32 bucks before it came crashing back down to at one. I think the low on Gox was like a penny for a second. (laughs) (laughs) That's brutal. But like by the end of 2011, the price was hovering around five bucks. Yeah, it was brutal too. And I, I'm really glad I didn't. I'm actually glad I didn't get into Bitcoin at the beginning of the 2011 because it would I would have got wrecked so hard, and I would have just gave up on it, and I wouldn't be here. So oh my god, I got in after it. You know, it it so it dies, right? Everybody's like, oh, Bitcoin's dead. Yep. Uh, that was the first big Bitcoin's dead, I think. And I, I pretty much believed it for a little bit. A couple, yeah, like a month or so went by, but and I kept hearing about it. I kept having people asking me. By accepting Bitcoin for my little baklava business that I had selling baklava <laughs> online, and eventually I was like, "All right, sure." Um, you know, Roger Veer reached out to me. He heard one of my one of my ads on this like tiny podcast that my buddies had uh, that he listened to, and he was like, "Yeah, I, I want to buy baklava, but I want to pay you in Bitcoin." So I was like, "Okay, fine." And uh, he gave me fourteen Bitcoin, and I sent him a, a pan of baklava, and uh, that was that. I mean, that was that's where it started, you know. And from there, I just I, I got really interested in it. Uh, I was spending those Bitcoin right away, pretty much. Uh, but as 2012 went on, I started seeing the value in, in holding it. Uh, but back then, there wasn't any like there wasn't like the HODL meme. It wasn't store value. There wasn't there was that that wasn't really established yet. We were still th- looking at it as like a way to just use an alternative currency to the dollar. Yes. So it's a very different time. Uh, so there was a lot of people in it that were interested in it. And I was living in New Hampshire. I had moved to New Hampshire, uh, the big free state project movement up there. So there's lots of like anarcho-capitalists or small libertarian types, people who want to get elected locally and just try to change the government to be more libertarian-like. That, that's still going on up in New Hampshire. But it, it, was like the perfect, it was like the perfect storm for Bitcoin because people up there were already looking for alternative currencies. And a lot of us were using gold and silver, which is just awful to use as a currency. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) yeah yeah so bitcoin (laughs) just was it was just the perfect fit in that situation and and people were using it up there like crazy it was it was pretty cool to be a part of that especially 2012 2013 okay that i have to say that so i've listened to probably like close to 100 different bitcoiners tell me their their rabbit hole story and i have to say that that is by far one of the most interesting and entertaining stories about selling baklava for bitcoin yeah, so I, mean, I think that's like so, so not expected. You know, well, so, I think to get awesome. into Bitcoin in that time period, you had to do it for philosophical reasons. There's just no nobody was like, I'm going to get rich off this thing or I'm going to, you know, like no, you just didn't really care that much. I think 99 percent of the people probably had, you know, philosophical reasons for getting into Bitcoin. It wasn't about it was never about making money. It was just a way to just be like, I don't, I don't want to use the dollar anymore. I, I it's like. I'm tired of the government, you know, I'm tired of them bombing all these countries or whatever. There's just so many reasons why, you know, that had nothing to do with, oh, this is an investment. This is a store of value or whatever. That just wasn't wasn't as thought out at the time. I mean, looking back now, it makes sense. But but back then it was different. Yeah. And the fees, right? The fees were almost negligible. So it was very simple to to latch on, I would say, to, uh, you know, that narrative of, you know, this is going to be coffee money. This is just going to be something that we're going to use all the time, which don't get me, you know, it may become that with, you know, the layering solutions on top of Bitcoin. But as of right now, I'd say the store of value uh, narrative is a little bit stronger. Well, I think a lot of early projects, just in general, you have ideas of what what they what they are what they could be and you know and as as the, the product is tested over the years of time through you know people using it and just just as, as time goes on you, you realize it's like oh maybe this original idea was isn't really at least not in the form that we, i thought it would be you know it's not as uh as relevant or whatever but or it's not going to be the big game changer thing about it um but yeah like at the time too like you mentioned fees we didn't even think of it as fees. It was it was explained to me more as like you're tipping the miner for accepting the transaction of the block. It was like, it was like a miner's tip, you know. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, yeah. so that narrative was even different back then. This is cool. I only came into Bitcoin in um, uh, like late 2016, and I came to it from the medium of exchange. 
yeah. as well. And and so for me, like all of this is very uh, this is all new information. You know, this old information is very new information. So that's cool. That so the narrative even with that has shifted. Yeah, and that, that's more like I mean that that's how it was explained to me. And I was always I'm always been and always will be like a big point club. So it's not like I was a developer or anything. Like I I don't. I didn't have as much of it. It took me a long time to understand it on a more technical level. I mean, that's, it's still just taking time, right? Like it's, it's a yeah. process that, that never ends. Oh yeah. We're always learning. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a dev either. My background is in uh, network administration. And then I went to uh, something called access control, uh, which is all those keyless entry systems. So um, I, even for me, like Bitcoin was difficult and is still, you know, still difficult uh, to grasp in, in terms of, you know, the te it's technicals. Right. So to think we completely understood it back then, even like the most the smartest people or whatever, is just I, I just don't see that as possible because there's just so many factors that it's more, you know, there's more than just the technical aspect, just so many, so many aspects of Bitcoin that it's hard to wrap your mind around exactly how it works. I want to go back um, because you explained your, your age. So you and I are both Gen Xers. I'm 41. Um, so Gen X, I find, I find that we're interesting as I, I feel like, you know, everybody blames the boomers, right? And everybody <laughs> talks about, you know, millennials and Gen Z, but like, I, I've forgotten. Right. I think. <laughs> are, are, aren't we really the forgotten generation? Like people have actually told me that like, when I tell people I'm Gen X, they're like, oh, you're like the cool boomers. Yeah. Like, I, I pretty much consider Gen Xers boomers at this point. And I, even, <laughs> even honestly, after I have, because I have older teenage daughters, and I'm like, man, millennials are such boomers too now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, awesome. You know, like, we're all just boomers. Um, so, so look, I, I think it's kind of interesting, right? Because as Gen Xers, we grew up with like this kind of like, you know, I, I was born at the, the end of the seventies. So I, I think about the kind of music I grew up in, you know, the kind of like it, it you know, th there was a lot of like punk there was a lot yeah. of heavy metal. Uh, skateboarding was like, oh, yeah. you know, coming out of the the real, you know, like the, the kind of trenches of subculture. And and there was a lot of this like kind of like this social, I, I, I don't even know what to call it, but like there was a lot of anarchist type of messaging yeah. for, for us, you know, and, and it became painfully clear like... Um, you know, I grew up listening to bands like uh, No Use for a Name and Propagandy and stuff like that. And oh yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I was I was totally into Dead Kennedys. Uh, nice. You know, like I, Bad Religion and stuff when they came out coming out in like the I think they were like early '90s or something. A lot of just like old and even just like old school punk bands like Exploited. And stuff yeah. Like that. I, I was listening to that too, and I and then I went through a ska phase, which I'm still going through. <laughs> that I've been going through since the '90s. <laughs> Is ska not like the happy version of punk? It's like it depends. There's so many different kinds of sky. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I like a lot of like the traditional sound too, where it's just instrumental, and I love you know where it's almost like it's almost like a form of jazz essentially, or I guess yes. jazz is a form of sky. I think I, I can't remember the roots of that, but uh, yeah, like I I, don't, I love I love sky in all its forms, and I still do. But but yeah, like I totally know what you mean. Like and you mentioned skateboarding. Skateboarding back then was just like if you're skateboarding, you're a badass. Because you weren't allowed to skateboard anywhere. That's it's, right. It's now you look at skateboarding. It's like, oh look, you get to go to this park. You're allowed to skate here. It's like, man, I remember when you just couldn't even skate. I didn't skate, but I had friends that did, and it was just to skate. You had to essentially break the law. It's, it's that's right. I mean. Like you know, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Like we we would get uh, honestly, we would. I mean, we wouldn't get fully arrested per se. I mean, maybe it's because I grew up in Canada, so they they just didn't arrest us. Yeah. But but we always got kicked out of everywhere we ever went skating. It was always forbidden. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? So yeah, and but to you know, just to uh, narrow down on that point is, is that, you know, we had a lot of this kind of like, um, you should be questioning the narrative type, oh, yeah. type of narrative. And, and so I feel it's, it's interesting that like, I, I don't know about you, but without even understanding the technicals of Bitcoin, as soon as I understood the whole, this is money that is not produced by the system, the current system, I, I immediately became intrigued. It just clicks with you. And it's, if you analyze it, like you can analyze it now and you'd be like, oh, yeah, I've always had like this anti-authoritarian uh, mindset in a lot of ways or just like to question everything. You know, X-Files was my favorite show when I was a teenager, you know, it's just, you know, taught me not to trust the government things like that. <laughs> like you, you kind of grew up in that atmosphere. And I think Gen X really it was it was a lot more prevalent for a lot of us. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it was in other generations. Maybe it just feels that way because I'm a Gen Xer. But uh, well, it, it was definitely. Yeah. 
There's a lot of that, for sure. You know what? I was thinking about that, right? Uh, about whether it was, you know... So if I, I remember uh, doing this, like, this whole, you know, report on, on punk music and the origins of punk and everything like that. And essentially, like, punk was the, the answer to the, the hippie revolution. They, they felt that the hippies weren't active enough, weren't as aggressive enough. So th- this is kind of where that ideology ended up leading. So I do think that we had, we did have a little bit more of that influence. I mean, you know, we had Rage Against the Machine. I mean, the, you know, people today listen to that type of stuff and think nothing of it. But when this type of stuff came out... It, it was, was it, it was massive and it was yeah. like you know it just like fed this like side of like fuck this system you know and like yeah and it's so mind-blowing when you but when you look back on a lot of those bands now a lot of them were just like left anarchists they're very like leftist very socialist a lot yes of them, and it's kind of depressing because i'm like that's not the message i got out of this yeah like what what the hell like this is kind of feel betrayed but then again it's like well i mean that's that's how they were i mean that's what motivated them i guess to make that music but a lot of the scene because i still i still go well i used to but i i and i will again but going to punk shows and scout shows like i still i still do it and i i can't wait to do it again when shows are a thing again but that's yeah, awesome. it's always a lot of just like super left socialist uh mindsets uh from the bands that's, that's seems to be the norm still so you don't have a lot of like libertarian punk bands. Uh. It's true. No, you. It's it. That's that's a very good point. You know, and and to be perfectly honest, because of that messaging, I I started to. Um, you know, I, I started to at a young age. I started to agree with a lot of like you know everything should be provided for by the system and all of that. You know. Oh, okay. To a certain extent. Yeah. And and then I, I, I caught myself in it and I was like, wait a second. I'm like, this is the complete opposite of what I actually believe. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, well, it's, it totally understands why you would get caught up in that, especially if that was your scene. You know, that's what you grew up in. Oh, man. I will throw this out. Since this yes. Is what, as the last tangent of this is the, the best libertarian punk band is uh, The Interrupters. They have, they have, they, you should check them out. I it's, will. Uh, the, the lead singer, she was the Ron Paul girl back in the day. Like, she was the Ron Paul, or not the Ron Paul girl. She was like a Ron Paul. She had sang like a Ron Paul song back in like 2011 or something. Oh, my God. I remember, I remember when that song came out. But, yeah, she's actually, she's in this band. They're huge. They're a pretty big band. I am definitely going to check them out. Dude, they're A+. Plus. They're, they have like a rancid sound to them. Oh, and when cool. you hear the lyrics, uh, you're going to be like, holy crap. How's, <laughs> I can't believe so many people like this band. Oh my gosh, I'm super excited. Yeah. I'm super excited. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna switch gears away from yeah, the yeah. From, from the music. I apologize. I just I, I got caught up in that because you you meant like when you mentioned your age, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, but it so plays in he it. gets it. Plays it. Into how you were how your mind was ready for Bitcoin. It really does. It does. Like, there's so many things when you look back. Uh, there's just like wow, no wonder Bitcoin clicked with me on on these le- on like so many levels. Exactly, and it was like just enough, right? It was like enough that that it would keep me interested, so that I, I could trudge along through the stuff I don't quite get. Yeah, you, you know, the same things with video games. I mean, I, I played video games all my life. I was always a gamer, so it's like digital. The idea of digital currency already made sense. Yes, this is. Oh my gosh, it's so true. Okay, so let me ask you this: Did you see? Did you see Ready Player One? Uh, yeah, I read the book. Which I oh, okay, the, the book's like. I, read, I saw the movie too. It was, I thought it was awful. Uh, <laughs> it was just like, wow, it's so different from the book. But it's not like the book yes. is like this amazing novel anyways. It's like one of those, okay, just turn your brain off and enjoy the ride. And that's what the movie was too. Yeah, exactly. But I, I kind of liked for, you know, what it was for me was the whole symbolism of the fact that they were, you know, essentially buying things online and it was appearing in the real world and everything yeah. was enmeshed. You yeah. know, that that's kind of what I, I thought was cool. But yeah, I totally agree. That was a total shut your brain off and just enjoy the ride. Right, right. <laughs> it, really, it really was. It really was. <laughs> Which I mean, sometimes, you know, sometimes that's just what that that's just what you need, you know? Yeah, I, I prefer like Snow Crash, um, the book Snow Crash for for the more of like kind of like the the uh, anarchy world with like that similar kind of feel to it. Snow Crash. OK, cool. Yeah. I'm going to check this it's out. A, it's a Neil Stevenson book. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to check this out. Thank you. This is part of what I, I love. I love doing these podcasts because I, I get to learn so much from everybody. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's cool. And that's... Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. 
Um, I just wanted to switch gears though, um, because you know, we're, we're talking about you know the the mindset and everything like that. Okay, I I know nothing about agorism. Um, I, I've pretty much the only mentions I've seen is um, your your profile, and I sometimes see tweets from Sal the Agorist. So the, okay. the, those are really so I I know nothing. What what is this? <laughs> the, the simplest way to explain, I think, is it's. It's like a way of it's like a counter economic thing where it's part of like the whole like anarcho capitalist ideologies where the agorists are people who are doing business on a peer to peer level with no government intervention or whatever. Like, say you want to technically, if you want to sell food outside, like a, a food cart or something, you'd have to get all the licensing and do, go through all that. This would bypass all those regulations or whatever, and you would just sell directly to another person. Um, without those licenses, without those licenses, um, and technically without paying taxes as well, uh, uh, so it's 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 more like that. Like uh, it's like it, it's it's it sounds nice on paper, but like the reality with agorism is it's really easy to do when you're not making any money from your business. But like anything else, oh. as you grow and you have eyes on you, it's not. I don't know how maintainable it would be in somewhere like America, you know, where they're going to come after you. So it's it's more philosophical, I think. So when did you, I guess, when did you discover this or how did, like, how did you discover this? Well, I, I was big on the Ron Paul movement and when he ran in 2007 to, for the 2008 election, when he started doing debates in 2007, it, my brain was ready. Like, I was already, <laughs> like, unaffiliated party. I wasn't affiliated with the party. I, I was tired of the Democrats and Republicans and I'm like, there has to be something else. Right. But I was still plugged in politically. And my biggest issue is always, uh, with the way the U S conducts itself overseas, you know, having a mil having a military bases throughout so many different countries. And it's, it's always been disgusting to me and, and all the murder that happens basically to back the dollar, uh, yes. more or less. Uh, so I always had an issue with that. I always took issue with that. And then when I started hearing Ron Paul speak, at debates during the Republican uh, primary debates in 2007, it just instantly clicked with me. I was like, I, I became like a, a minarchist essentially, you know, like the small, a small government person overnight, just after, just from hearing <laughs> with him. And I had to like consume everything I could about any information I could, you know, books or whatever. I, I just fell down that rabbit hole. So that was like 2007. And then anyone who knows who's ever been through trying to get somebody elected, it's uh, just a draining process that just leaves you feeling <laughs> very upset because and just kind of like just just uh, wow. just sick of the system, I guess, in a lot of ways. If you've ever done like door to door uh, campaigning for a candidate that doesn't stand a chance, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's tough. But the, his, the message got out and a lot of early Bitcoiners are going to point back to Ron Paul as where it all started for them. Uh, I'm not the only one. There's there's probably thousands of people easily. Yeah. He was a huge influence. I know he was a huge influence. You said you're Canadian. Uh, yeah. My wife's Canadian, too. She was she was doing the same kind of thing in Canada, like just like going to Ron Paul meetups in Canada. Yeah. It's, yep. like, <laughs> it's good. It's like that was the thing. I'm like, when does that ever happen where people are going to meetups for candidates, you know, in a country that's not even there? It's like it's crazy. His message yeah. was amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it totally resonated even with us. And and um, and just to add to what you're saying, my first exposure to Ron Paul um, was they uh, seeing him on the cover of a High Times magazine. Oh yeah, <laughs> back back in the uh, I, I think it was the uh, the mid '90s. It just completely yeah. it completely blew my freaking mind. I actually still have that copy. Uh, oh, that's so cool. Oh yeah, for sure. I I used to collect High Times, and I mean, like that was I I mean to me this blew my mind. I was like. This politician smokes pot and, and he talks anti, you know, like... Well, he doesn't even smoke pot. No, I know. Just, yeah. <laughs> That's what I learned after. Yeah. <laughs> he was just a proponent for it. Right. It's like, how about not putting people in jail for a problem that's not, you know, a criminal problem? It's, you know, it's, it's it, whatever. Or if it, even a problem at all, essentially, for marijuana. It, it really uh, blew my mind. Right, right. So to hear somebody talk like that, it's just like, oh my God, this is what I've been waiting for. Yep. So it's like, yeah, I get on board the Ron Paul thing. And then I started 
after 2008, I started looking for other things to listen to and, and other media to consume. And I stumbled upon Alex Jones. So after a week of listening to Alex Jones, I was like, I don't want to listen to Alex Jones. This is way too depressing. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, like there's a lot of, there's a lot of good stuff from Alex Jones, but there's also, it's just like, I, that's the path I, I was not going down. I'm like, ugh. so I, that's when I discovered a different uh, show called free talk live. And it's like a very liberty oriented um, radio show. That was based in Florida, and now since then, since you know many years ago, they moved to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project uh, in like 2006 or seven. But I used to listen to them a lot, so I kind of became I went from like a minarchist to just full on ANCAP by 2009, and that's when I decided I'm like, hey, I'm going to set up an agro's business. I used to make baklava for friends, and everybody always loves it, so I just started just set up a web page and started shipping it out essentially. And that was my little agorist business. You know, I wasn't making much. It's not like I was getting tons of orders. I was probably getting, I don't know, 20, 30 orders a month uh, at, at points, you know, depending if the holiday season, I was getting a lot more. So, I mean, it was fine. It was, it was enough money to pay some small bills and whatever, some extra spending though. Like that was cool. And, hmm. you know, that led to, that led to me, like I advertised on free talk live and some other podcasts and, and that's kind of, and that's kind of how I got my connection into Bitcoin. I mean, that that's, that's where it led to. So um, a couple of things that I, I've noticed in, in some of your tweets, I know that we went back and forth, but one thing that really struck me is um, you come across to me as like a very humble guy. Um, and specifically, though, you've you've made comments about, um, you know, you would you would never you would never not clean a floor for Bitcoin. Uh, and and I, I think it was Chain Code Labs that was offering jobs and you were asking <laughs> yeah. if they wanted a janitor. Well, so I, I, <laughs> oh, go ahead. I was just going to ask you. So where where does where does this come from? Because like you, I, I I feel that we have this very same type of uh, mentality. Like I, I would never, you know, one thing that my father taught me is you're never too good to clean shit. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, I think working growing up at a restaurant really just helped seal that for me, and and just especially when you're working there and you're just seeing the type of people that come in there and they're just hearing different stories. And, and I mean, I used to, I was in there, like I said, I was in here all the time since I was a little kid, you know, running around. Uh, and so I just, I just got to see a lot of just different, different just, just see a lot of different viewpoints and just like kind of people watch in there. And it kind of taught me to just like, I don't know, it just taught me a lot about socializing and, and, and how people are. But I, I think that, I think that had some kind of effect on me too, just doing that kind of work. But I never, I never like, uh, I never went to college. I, I went like one semester and dropped out. It just wasn't for me. I just can't, I can't learn in a school setting that well. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like a lot of that has to do with how I learn. Sometimes I just feel like I'm really slow at learning things. And I just need to just like, hey, just leave me alone. I'll figure this out. Like, I just want to take my time to do this. And it might take me a little bit longer, but, you know, I'll get it. You know, and I'll focus on it. So that probably plays a role in it too. I don't think I'm like this like genius or something for getting into Bitcoin so early and, and yeah, I think, I think you have to be willing sometimes to, to get your hands dirty if, if you have to, you know, like that's, you shouldn't be afraid of that and that's okay. And you, and it's, it can be a, it can be a humble, a good humbling experience, you know? So that's, it's kind of where I look at with that. I don't know. I just don't, I don't really see the point in showing off. There's yep. always people who are, who are quote unquote, better, better off or whatever than you are. You know, and like, yeah, I, I, I've been in a lot of situations where somebody's bragging Ugh. really hard about something they have. And, and, and I'm just like, and I think about where I am now and I'm like, dude, you don't even, it's not really that much. Like you're, you're trying to like have this appearance, like you're something that you're, that, that you're not or something. I don't know. It's like, why? It's like, what's the point? It's just so cringe. It's really, it really be, cringe. Yeah. Oh, I, I hate that. I actually get embarrassed for people. Like even when I see tweets like that, you know, from people, I, I get embarrassed for them. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's kind of weird. Also, I, I just, yeah, I just connect more with people who just don't, who aren't as focused on, uh, on money, and, and I, obviously, money, ha having some money helps you improves your quality of your life, right? Like, yeah, to an extent. Like, there's no doubt about it. Of course, no, of course. And that's, and that's like, that's really cool. Like that. There's no doubt about that. But at some point, it's like. Is this really all you want to focus on all the time? I don't know. It's just not where I, what I want to do. Well, this this goes back to your original point, right? About just kind of like, you know, being a drone at some dead end job and then just you know, yeah, dying one day. It's the same thing. Uh, I'm is. sorry. Go ahead. 
it, it's very similar. It's, you know, whether you're making what I was making, like 30, some maybe low thirties back of those jobs or, you know what? Okay. What if I had a hundred times that, and I was working even more and, and, uh, that was my life like that. I, to me, it's like the same thing. It's just one, you have more money that you're not really, you don't have time to enjoy. And the other one, you're still grinding to just try to figure out how you're going to pay your bills. Obviously that's a worse. I think that's a worse situation, but I agree to, to, there's no doubt about it. I mean, like if you got bills and you're just struggling, like, yeah, so I've been there, you know, I know how that is and that it sucks. But like to be on the other end where you, you have everything and you can just have more time for yourself, but you choose not to like, I don't know. That doesn't sound very satisfying. No, I totally agree. To me, that sounds like a tragedy. You yeah. know, it really does. Um, okay, so I, I actually also wanted to I wanted to switch gears a little bit, and um, I noticed on your wall of art. Okay, you you have is that a Cassatius coin? Yeah, I've since uh, stored it better. Like I, I like having. Like, okay. <laughs> so, at one point, I had around 12 or 13 Cassatius rounds. And I know you're into Cassatius rounds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it's, it's in the original one. It's the one, it's the 2001, or two, sorry, 2001. Yeah, I have, a, I have a Bitcoin from 2001. Oh, nice. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I got in early. Hey, Craig. Uh, it's, a, it's a 2011 Series 1 error. One, one Bitcoin has, like, the misspelling of Cassatius on it. Uh. And I got it graded a while back, but yeah, I, I had it on my wall as a reminder of kind of like my roots because I got that from a, I sold a gyro for five bucks and I was paid with one of those from somebody in New Hampshire, uh, who had, who had them. There were a bunch of those floating around. That is, and, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, it's the last one I saved. And it's, it's like, to me, I look at it. It's a reminder of my roots of where I came from. You know, it's like, I got into this from cooking. This is, you know, this is kind of where it began. This is one of my early Bitcoin transactions, and I still have physical proof of that. Uh, it's like a business hanging, a, a, you know, their first dollar on the wall. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Now, I've since, like I said, I had, I had about a dozen of them at one point. This is the only one I still have left. But oh I still have God. the spent rounds. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, you want to feel sick. So I took, <laughs> I took two of the spent rounds. I, I actually, I modified my art wall. I haven't taken a picture of it, but. I took two two of the spent Cassatius rounds, and I have uh, in a small frame. I have the front and back, so they're both on display. And then I still had a peeled sticker with the private key, so the private key is actually displayed now on the sticker. So it's like a it's a dissected Cassatius round now on the wall. It it does the same thing, it, but now the other one's stored properly, you know, where it's not not to worry about theft or fire or whatever. <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh, that is so cool. So yeah, I took a I, I, de- I have a deconstructed Cassatius round on the wall now. It's much better, worth slightly less. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, if you can take a picture of it, we'd appreciate it. Yeah, I should. <laughs> I, I will. I'll update with it. It'd be it's, cool. It's cool. Um, okay, so one thing I, I always want to you know something I, I always want to know, right? Uh, especially since you got in, you know, uh, so early. So look, like it's been ten years. Um, do you think? Okay, so I guess I'll start. But first, I'll ask you. Do you think there is a social layer to Bitcoin? Because there are some people who are social layer deniers, and that's perfectly fine. I, I'd like your take. You've been in this for 10 years. Yeah, it's like a nebulous thing, right? Like, kind of, but there definitely is. There's probably many layers of it, because you think of all the discussion that goes on on Twitter, and then you have to stop and think, you know, probably most Bitcoin users don't even speak English, and they're not on Twitter. So it's this very small circle of people very influential people at, at times, right? But it's not like um, that's the the one discussion where that's happening. So yeah, I think I think there is like there, there definitely is, and uh, maybe less technical people notice it more because that's the layer that they're more familiar with <laughs> in a way. Yeah. That's the one that they they're more comfortable understanding. I, I I don't know, but I think there is something to it. Yeah. Very cool, because I, I, I've always thought that th- this was a natural growth, right, out of Bitcoin. Like, the social layer is a result of the of, of the, the Bitcoin activity. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking about something like Bitcoin, where it's not centralized, you're going to have you're going to have things like that. I, I don't like I said, it's kind of more nebulous, right? It's not it's not like this clearly defined thing. And, you know, when you when you call it like a social layer, it makes it sound like it's. It, <laughs> yeah, I'm painting it with a broad brush. Right. right. You know? But I know what you mean. 
it's but yeah exactly it is it is not clearly defined it's it's kind of scattered it's i i totally agree okay so how, how oh, much of an influence does it have you know it's hard yeah to, you can't really measure that i guess that exactly but it's but it's there right it's present and we can't deny it oh yeah I you mean, know well i mean we could deny it but maybe we'd be lying <laughs> right I, I i think that's i think that's fair sure what do you think of um i mean look you know like it, then and now, like, you know, if you look back on Bitcoin, where it was when you first started and, and you look at it at it now, like, um, I, I guess what are your, um, you know, are we getting are we getting this right? Or or, you know, because look, let's face it, right? We've had the, you know, the fork wars, right? We, you know, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, you know, we obviously had, you know, the garbage, which still continues to this day with CSW, like. Well, what are you? What are your thoughts on like the, this road that we've been on? Because I've only been in this for three, four years, so I've only seen like yeah. you know, I've only seen Bcash on. You know, I didn't right, see right. Roger Ver before. I didn't see any of this stuff before. Well, that's a lot of, and I've tweeted about this before, where it's like I, I wish I had the luxury of joining after all that happened, where I could just look at someone like Roger Ver and be like, oh, this guy sucks. He's an asshole. What a villain. But it's like it's not like that, right? Like that. At, at one point he got the name bitcoin jesus for a reason right like he yeah <laughs> you know he was he was a friend of mine like he got me a lot of connections and and he's i got into bitcoin because you know that first transaction was with him and so it's like yeah i have mixed feelings on it of course right like i i don't just look at him and be like oh fuck this guy i i just don't i don't think of it like that um obviously i don't ha i don't have any interaction with him anymore it's been it's been years uh and i don't understand I, I don't really understand. I like, I know he's a dedicated guy. Like that, if you, anyone who questions his uh, dedication or his belief is just wrong. Like he is, it, it, he doesn't do these things for money. I don't think like that's not his main, that's not his main drive. I mean, he was already rich when he got into Bitcoin. Uh, he's very passionate and he's very much uh, a principled, like in his mind, like he, he's following his principles, right? Like that's how he sees it. Yeah, that's so, true. So like, all those things. I mean, you can have all that and still be on the wrong side, I guess, if you want to look at it like that. I, I don't know. But like, I don't I don't have that luxury of just like a lot of these people where I've just I can just blindly not like them or whatever without. But yeah, because, yeah, at one point it was different. But back then, uh, the narrative was Bitcoin as, you know, use it as for everyday transactions for that cup of coffee. It was always, you know, the cup of coffee. Thing. <laughs> uh, and so it was just it was just different. And things have changed over the years, right? Like, okay, maybe that wasn't the main thing. So I think with the way I think, like, you know, we talked about staying humble. I, whenever there was a big debate, especially, I mean, the biggest debate was the block size debate, you know, that lasted years. Yeah. And I was working at blockchain.info when that started going down and they were all for all the big block stuff. I didn't, I was kind of neutral, but leaning more way, more towards like a conservative approach. Because in my mind, I like the idea of it's like, hey, let's take our time with Bitcoin because we only have one chance to get this right. Um, so I kind of had some thoughts on it, but I didn't really talk about it publicly, at least at first, because I was like, you know what? I'm not tech. I'm not tech as technical as these guys. Like I read some of these things and I, I have a hard time following it. You know, like I'd have to quit my job and spend more time to, like, on this to like fully grasp the consequences. <laughs> and then you had people that you respected on both sides. So that was the other thing. So it's like, OK. You could kind of empathize with both sides. So at least early on in the block size debate, I just kind of stayed neutral. And I just like, you know what? They'll work it out. They'll find middle ground and then we'll move on. Right. Like that's kind of how I thought about it. Let the let the more technical people figure this out. But as time went on, it wasn't, you know, especially by what I guess. When did when was Bcash? That was early. That was summer 2017, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. So <clears throat> by by. I think by early 2017, you kind of realize it's like this. This isn't going to go. This isn't going to be like the other times. Like this is, there, there's. This is not going to end well. Like that's. It, it's what it felt like. It was very like stressful at the time, especially working in the industry at a company who was supporting the big block movement, supporting Segwit2x, and I was. The more I was like reading and over the years and stuff, the more I was just like, you know what? I I think this is a terrible idea. Like we should not be doing this. Like there's just. We don't want to. We don't want to. We don't want to do something like this at this point. Like take more mm -hmm. time or something. I don't know. But eventually, I, I came out and I started speaking out against the company I was working for. You know, saying like I, 
I'm, I'm user offs. I've been here all these years. And it's like, I don't support this, even though the company does. And you saw a lot of that from a lot of people who worked at Bitcoin companies. More people were speaking out against the company they were working for. I remember there were arguments with like, and it was pretty civil, but like even like Jameson Lobb, um, he was working at, um, was it Bitco at the time, I think? Uh, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot. There was, I just remember it's like, oh, look, the CTO uh, is arguing with the CEO, <laughs> like complete disagreement. Like it was incredible to watch. Oh, yeah. It was like, wow, this is this is crazy. And it's like I had I felt like I just had to say something. I, I, I'm not anybody super special or anything, but like I just don't want to be. A, it's like I don't want to be attached to this as part like I'm not part of this. Like I know the company I work for is doing this, but that's not like I disagree. So it's like you, 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 you're at a point where it's like you had to say something. You had to speak out. It's good. It's good that you did. Yeah. You know, it's good that everybody did because to be perfectly honest, if everybody didn't, we would be looking at, I, I personally think, a, a Frankenstein version of Bitcoin today. Potentially, yeah. Um, and that was like know? the social layer at work right there. You know, that's, it was pretty apparent that there was <laughs> that right then, right then and there. I have to admit, admit when it happened, I, I was, I didn't, I, I was right at the beginning, so I understood absolutely nothing, and I just felt completely confused reading everything. It was confusing to me, too. Like, <laughs> it was, it was, it was confusing, especially, like I said, when you have friends on both sides who are saying, you know, they're saying things that just contradict what the other side's saying, so it's just like, okay, well, we're, what? Like, I, I don't know, I don't know where to start, I don't know what to believe, I need more time to figure this out. And I mean, eventually for me, it was such a big deal where when Segwit2x failed, it was like the biggest relief. I mean, it was like the biggest party. That, that, that's a day to celebrate forever. You know, like that, that was oh, such yeah. a great moment. And I mean, ultimately, I, I, yeah, I, told, I told the CEO of blockchain and stuff. I was like, look, I'm done. Like, I can't, I can't work here anymore. Like, I don't, <laughs> they, were, they were adding support for Bcash. Uh, I still, ha- I, I remember a correspondence I had where I had to write like guides because I used to write like the, the support center stuff in yep. the, uh, on on the, and I refused to write out Bitcoin Cash. I would just write Bcash, <laughs> and, and I remember I remember this being emailed like, "Hey, this needs to be changed. You know, that's not what it's called. It's called Bitcoin Cash." And I was like, "Well, find someone else to change it." <laughs> it <was> like, <laughs> nice. I'm, it. I'm like, I'm just not doing it. Like, I'm just, and it's like, I'm just not doing that. Like, it's this is what it is. Like, and it's, and I don't want to work at a, a job that I have to now support these other things like other shit coins or whatever like this. I'm not, I have no interest in that. I just don't want to do that. So I just left. It's just, I was done. To me, that's not fulfilling at all. Like the coolest thing about working at a Bitcoin job, especially when I started support tickets at, at, at blockchain back in 2013 was I had to learn as I went, like there was no, there were really any resources for me. It was just like, Hey, figure it out. You know, these people were emailing you about stuff and you thought you knew a lot about Bitcoin. You don't know shit. <laughs> it's true you know you had to build your knowledge from scratch and it was really all you know what it was really about your own attitude towards it yeah and i loved that with bitcoin i loved it so thinking about having to do that with bcash ethereum zk what all this bullshit i was like i noped out of there dude that is the last thing i'm gonna do <laughs> spend time having to learn all that shit oh my gosh i i totally agree and, and that that is one of the things that makes it really difficult right because you know let's be honest the user experience has gotten a lot better since 2011, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But unfortunately, a lot of manufacturers get stuck or feel, right? Not, not necessarily just manufacturers, but platforms as well. They, they, it's, it's almost like everybody thinks they have to play nice because they want a piece of the entire pie. So again, we're going back to that whole, you know, that whole narrative of it's, you know, you know, people are they're caring more about the bottom line than they are about quality or, uh, I guess, I don't know, maybe their ethics or their morals. Yeah. It's a dilemma, I guess. I mean, people are running a business. They want to make money. Right. Right. And I guess if, if you're not, if that's all you care about is the business, like on that regard, then you're going to be pretty successful. Probably. I mean, if you're just, you know, if you're a shit, co- shit coin casino or whatever, there's a lot of opportunity for money to be made. And I mean, that's, That'll probably be the case for a while. I, I, I don't see that going away anytime soon. I totally what, agree. Yeah, like, yeah, you can make money off shit coins, no doubt about it. <laughs> of course you can. People do it all the time. People lose money all the time too. But, but yeah, if you're an exchange or whatever, you're yeah, you're gonna make out whether the price is going up or down. Exactly. You know. Um, that- yeah. 
So I guess, um, you know, one of my one of my other questions to you was um, really about. I mean, where do you see us? I guess where where do you see all of this? You know, all of this going. You know, do we do we actually gain traction? You know, like, do we actually gain traction in the real world? I mean, we see what's happening with you know with the banks. We see the Michael Saylors, all of this stuff. But like, you know, are are we all are we all just crazy? It like bad crazy where this all just explodes, or does this do, do we actually get to change the world and you know we finally get to have you know proper base layer for money? What do, what are your I, thoughts? The I grand idea. Ha- <laughs> I think it's happening very slowly, um, and I think. The biggest threat to Bitcoin in my mind, I mean, there's a lot of threats. I don't know, maybe it's the biggest threat, but one of the biggest threats would be governments having their own, um, like, uh, oh, I just totally blanked on the word. Oh, like, uh, <laughs> stable some coin. Other, some, yeah, some, no, not like stable coin, like governments having their own um, backed money that's deflationary, you know, maybe even backed by gold or something, going back to like the roots something that would actually compete with Bitcoin. Because if governments just do whatever, some other shitcoin, a digital dollar or whatever, um, and that, that's what they do, whatever. If they just keep going with the fiat, Bitcoin's going to keep thriving. Because in my mind, it was never... The, the, people will talk about like hyper-Bitcoinization and stuff. Like, I like that idea. It's pretty cool. But I saw Bitcoin work when it was only worth five bucks in a small community, and it was fine. Like, it was great. So yes, I was never on board... Like, I'm on board with it. I think it's cool. It's like, oh, great. You know, Bitcoin, the standard, that'd be awesome. But it doesn't need to be that. Like, it never needed to be that. It was already awesome. It was just so cool. What I saw then is still in my mind is like what Bitcoin is in a lot of ways. So it's like, it doesn't need everybody to get on board. But they're at some point going to reach a point where they they need to be on board with it. They're going to realize it's like, I need more Bitcoin. And governments with fiat money, um, you know, more wars and all these things, like, all this, all the bullshit with Wall Street or whatever. There's as long as that stuff still exists, it's like the best marketing for Bitcoin, and Bitcoin doesn't have any true competition to any government money or whatever. All they could do, what could governments could say? Okay, well we ban it. Well, how's that going in Nigeria or whatever? You know, like, no, it's not working at all. No, we're at all. It's like the biggest place <laughs> in Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's, it, it's the only way they could compete with it in my mind is if they had something similar to Bitcoin. Um, that was backed by, you know, some, I don't know, gold or something, or that, that, that wasn't, yeah, that wasn't inflationary. But <laughs> it's, it thinks something, things that are never, it's not ever going to happen, right? It's not, I, governments are going to do this. I was going to say, how could they do it, right? How could they, because essentially they would have to find a way to move everything. Yeah. Like to, to this new quote unquote ledger, you know, like they'd have to this new system. Like yeah. how, how could they do that without hitting a reset switch? Oh, they just, I mean, it would be, it would be. It would just be oh. terrible. Like it would never, it wouldn't work, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't do it anyways. But I, I think all these things, all these things existing the way they are now, is just the best commercial for Bitcoin ever. And it always was that way. It was that way in 2011. It's just we realized it early because we were like these hardcore philosophical and cap types, and we saw that. It doesn't mean that didn't mean we knew Bitcoin was going to be as successful as it is now. I think in a lot of ways, it's, it feels like it happened faster. I maybe some people don't feel this way, but to me, it's like I can't. It's been 10 years almost for me as a Bitcoiner. And I, I look at the price and I look at how much is going on, all the books and everything. And I'm just like, I can't believe this has happened in only 10 years. That, it's, it's crazy. That's actually exactly what I was going to ask you next is, you know, are we moving, are, are we moving faster than you thought or slower? And you, you just answered it. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really it, <laughs> It really just feels fast. I mean, it, sometimes it can feel really boring when the price action's kind of slow or whatever. But I look at like the big picture. I look at all like my collection of Bitcoin books, and I think back to when I got into Bitcoin. People would recommend science fiction books. You know, they weren't there weren't any Bitcoin books to recommend. That's right. Like, oh, yeah, go read Cryptonomicon. It's kind of like uh, you know, you'll kind of get a feel for the whole Bitcoin thing. Now it's like, oh yeah, there's there's a million great resources. There's so much out there and. I don't, it's very surreal, and uh, I'm I'm fortunate that I have a, a wife who's also a Bitcoiner. She's been in as long as I have, and we've just been been on this journey together. And we both kind of just feel the same way, where it's just it's so cool when you just stop and look around, and it's like wow. So to, to imagine where Bitcoin's gonna be in ten years, I I can't even. I don't even know. It'd be like trying That's to come beautiful. Up, it'd be like trying to think up the iPhone in like the nineties. Like I just it's I have true. no idea where it's gonna be. <laughs> but but you know what? I I think if you stay humble. And you just 
also and and also vigilant about things like privacy and whatever but like don't assume you know what's best for bitcoin you know just just be open i guess in some ways you're it's it's gonna be a fun ride you're not gonna become one of these uh heroes turned villain if you if you don't think try to take control or whatever i love that that is absolutely beautiful don't assume Thanks. you know what's best for Bitcoin. I like that. Yes. And always well, I mean there's there's so many people who have just <laughs> who have thought that, you know, thought they knew it was best. It's true. It's absolutely true. Man, Mandrick, I thank you so much by the way for for coming on my podcast. I do you have any uh any final thoughts for the uh for the listeners? Uh just keep stacking, really. I think that's the best thing. This is this I think this year is going to be insane and we are I feel like it's like so early. Yes. Into, at least into this bull run, it you know it like it's fun to stay humble, but you know you got to celebrate the, the the fun days too because we get so few of these crazy market days where you know the the number goes up and you're like oh my god this is insane it doesn't happen that much you know and most of the time we're just kind of chilling so it's like yeah have some fun enjoy it. I to- um, totally agreed. But uh, yeah, and then and then if we get another bear market, stack as hard as you can because that's the best time. Oh. I, I, I won't. I, you know what? I, I miss the bear market. I really do. I, I even look back. Sometimes I look back at my purchases and, and I see like how much I got for like a hundred bucks or 200 bucks. It was insane. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> the longer you're in Bitcoin, the more you love bear markets. Yes. <laughs> it's so true, man. This has been really cool. Thank you so much for joining yeah. me on my pod. Thanks so much for having me. Cool, man. I, I definitely hope to, uh, to, to get you again. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. Mandrick's Twitter contact details will be in the show notes. And of course, if you want to reach me, Telegram or Twitter, I'm at CoinIcarus. If you want to shoot me an email, I am CoinIcarus at funwithbitcoin.com. Thank you all for listening. Catch you all next time.